So we're in 1 Samuel chapter 7, and I'll just do a brief recap, uh, mainly just a, a quick summary of the end of chapter 6. Is this a little loud? No? You're good? Okay. I'm just nervous. But uh, So Israel finds themselves in an interesting situation. Uh, they were treating the Ark of the Covenant, as Jordan was teaching, uh, like a lucky charm. And so they treated it as such, and uh, they didn't see any result. And so they went to battle, uh, trusting in something that was uh, not the Lord. And they were defeated uh, by the Philistines. Then the Philistines started experiencing things, and they didn't like it, right? And then the ark was kind of tossed around. Eventually, they made some rats out of gold, and one for every city. They, interesting. But the, they made some... Tum- how do you make tumors out of gold? I don't... I was reading, I was like, how do you do that? But they made tumors out of gold, and, and they put them in a separate box. They put them on these two cows, and then the cows walked all the way back to Israel. And, and so then they took the, the wood that was holding the ark, they broke it up, and then they sacrificed the cows that, were, that brought the ark. And it says that they, the ark rested on the rock of, of Abel. And that's pretty interesting. I was just thinking about that because, you know, I always figure if it's in the scriptures, it's there for a reason. And so one of the things I was looking at was, well, the, what does this rock have to do with Abel? Well, it's a stone, right, of remembrance for Abel. And so there's, throughout Scripture, teachings of stones, right, or rocks. And if you remember in the New Testament, Peter, of all people, right, says something that's true. <laughs> and he's rewarded, you know, and so Jesus says, upon this rock, right, I will build my church. And so there's a truth that's spoken, and it's referred to as a stone. And so the stone of Abel has truth tied to it. And that truth is associated with his life. He lived a life where he's, he approached God, his God, not on the basis of his ability, not on the basis of what he could do, his strength, his charisma. He approached God on the simple basis of the blood sacrifice. His brother Cain did not. He approached God on the basis of what he was able to accomplish. And it was not received. And so the truth of the stone of Abel, that to approach God, you must come on the basis of a blood sacrifice. What did they do? They removed the top of that ark where the blood was shed. And as Jordan taught, they saw judgment because the law spoke truth. The law said, you cannot meet up to this standard. And so 50,070, I mean, someone was counting, 50,070 men died that day. Could you imagine? How confused would you be? This is a great thing. We lost the ark. Now it's coming back. And then they decide well let's just make sure things are inside i don't know maybe they just wanted they were curious but in their curiosity what's that saying the curiosity killed the cat right well, and fifty thousand men <laughs> and so you know there's principles jesus that will bring them back. jesus will bring them back yeah 
Amen. But it, there's principles that we learn as we walk with God, what we should do, what we shouldn't do. And those principles, they're not a pattern. They're just a statement. God didn't continue killing people. He killed a certain amount, and it left a statement. The statement was, don't remove the blood from the altar, right? And so here they are, chapter 7, right? They're like, who, at the end of chapter 6, who could stand before the Almighty God? Who is worth? They find a guy. <laughs> They're like, let's just, maybe this guy will take the ark. Well, we'll start with verse, with verse 1. It says, Then the men of Kirjath Jerim came and took the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab on the hill and consecrated Eleazar, his son, to keep the ark of the Lord. And so it's interesting. Now they have the ark, and it's in Judah. But they don't want to carry it very far, so they find a guy that lives in, I can't pronounce that very well, but Ker, Kerjath Harim. And, and they ask, hey, would you be willing to at least house the Ark of the Covenant? And he does, and they anoint his son, Eleazar. Now, he's not a Levite, but they make him as priest to look over this. We're not told that he offers sacrifices. I think that would be... He'd end up dead if that happened. But he was at least in charge of watching over it. And at this point, it would remain here in their home for over 100 years. Imagine that. The Ark of the Covenant, so close to Shiloh, yet so far away. But it's in the home of this man. He decides to take it in. He decides to take care of it. And you still have the people of Israel that are just confused. They're just beside themselves. God, do you love us or do you not love us? What's going on? They're having daddy issues, right? They're foggy, right? They're unsure, maybe upset with God. And so here they are in this condition. It's interesting how oftentimes we can be upset. We can find ourselves walking through life and it's foggy, Right. We know what we should do. Maybe we find ourselves even doing the things we know we should, and yet it's not a com it, there's no completeness in it. There's this unfulfillment. There's this lack of something. And we don't know what it is, and we're like asking, God, what is going on? Search my heart, O oh Lord. Right? That's what David said. Search me and find any wicked thing. It's frustrating when you're walking with God and you're trying to do what you know you should, and then there's sin that's undealt with. And sometimes it takes someone to come alongside and share that sin with you, right? And God will pick a man who started off as a boy by the name of Samuel. And so we find ourselves here in chapter 2. It says, So it was that the ark remained in Karish Harim a long time. Like we said, it was about 100 years. That's a long time. It's through the whole reign of Samuel, or uh, I'm sorry, well, through the whole life of Samuel, through the whole reign of Saul. Saul never thought of bringing this thing back. And it would remain there until the king that God chose, right? He would bring it back. And so it says it remained there a long time. It was there 20 years. And again, not that it was there only 20 years. It was there 100 years. But after 20 years, 
it says, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Here it is in Abinadab's home, and it takes 20 years for them to finally come to a place where they've reached their end. Man, don't we like to fight and kick, right? We can resist a long time, and we can muster up energy. We can get weak, but then muster up energy and then keep resisting God. But it wasn't just 20 years of, like, nothing happening. They were under the Philistines. They were controlled by the Philistines. Their thumb, the Philistine thumb was over them. And so they were being oppressed. And so absolutely, when you're oppressed, it only takes but time. And then you break. And so here they are broken. And so they're crying out. And all of the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. They missed that closeness with God that relationship with God, that fellowship with God. They knew the ark, where the ark was, and yet it seemed so far away in their heart. And so it says that then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, if you return to the Lord with all your heart, then, I'm sorry, then put away the foreign gods and asterisks from among you and prepare your hearts for the Lord and serve him only and he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. What a powerful statement. What a powerful statement of truth that's spoken into the heart of a people whose heart was divided constantly. A group of people who God loved, who God chose and he gave them so much and he did so many signs, so many wonders in their life and yet there's, a, there's another saying, familiarity breeds contempt right? or disrespect. And I feel like that's what's happening here. They're familiar with the God of Israel, but somehow familiarity takes place. Yes, we know God can do this. We know God did this. We know these. We put stones here. Yes, we remember. Yep, 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 yep. And it's checked. And all of a sudden, the place that God should have and the excitement we should have about the Lord, that excitement's gone. I get nervous when I teach, but I just think about the excitement I get when I learn something. And, I, and it, it brings that joy back because when I learn something, I love sharing that. I, it just brings that joy back. And so often we can lose that joy, lose the joy of fellowshipping, of coming to church, of uh, being around other fellow believers. I'm telling you, it only takes a, 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 a holiday with family that are unbelievers, right? <laughs> and you miss the body of Christ, <laughs> right? It doesn't matter what nationality you are. Like when you're around believers, you feel family, right? You feel closer. And there's family here. There's friends here that I have closer relationships than I do with my blood flat family. And so... That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the joy that the Lord brings when we're reminded of his goodness. And I think Israel forgot the goodness of God because you can't see God, but you can see what other people are doing. You can see what other people are doing to bring joy to their life, but it's not real, right? You look at Facebook and you, it's an easy example, but you look at Facebook, everyone posts their best picture, <laughs> 
Right? No one's ever sad on Facebook. Isn't that crazy? No one's ever having a bad day. But yet, we know that's not true. With the rise of social media, you have the rise of depression amongst young girls, young boys. So there's a connection. And so Israel, it's, it's lost the joy, and it wants to find it. Lord, where are you? They cried out to the Lord. Here Samuel gives them a direct arrow, right? A direct arrow to the heart. And I think this is good for parents, right? To speak truth into their children, right? I was speaking to a, a friend. We went to the men's advance. He was showing me how to shoot an arrow. And he says, Danny, you need two points of contact to, stri- to shoot a straight arrow. Otherwise, you can't be consistent. So he showed me. He's like, tuck it behind the, the jawbone. Touch the bow with your nose. Yep, but you need two points of contact. I think that's what parents are, right? Mom and dad, two points of contact to, ch- to shoot a child straight. Not literally, you just, <laughs> you know, just, you, or literally, someone said literally. I do that with Leo. I just throw him in the bed. He loves it. He loves it. I love it. I love it. So then he says, prepare your hearts. It takes preparation. It's not just willy-nilly, okay, I'm ready. I I wish that were the case. I love my wife. Oftentimes we have these intense fellowship moments. (laughs) And she's explaining things to me thoroughly. And I'm staring at her. And and I'll even squint to make her feel like I'm... I'm I'm really paying attention. And then she'll ask the question, did you understand what I said? I can honestly, I've gone too far. It's, I want to say yes, right? But I feel like I'm missing something. I'm like, I know she's saying this. I know I'm supposed, <sighs> yes, honey, I know what you said. And then it's only a matter of time before I repeat that same dumb mistake. And I'm like, honey, have mercy. <laughs> but I feel like this is where Israel is. They're making one mistake after another. And they're like, what is going on? They're half-hearted. Samuel's saying, prepare your heart. How do you prepare something? How do you prepare a table for food, for inviting people over? You get rid of what it doesn't need, right? You get rid of the things that are in the way. You clean what's dirty, right? You prepare your heart. There's a preparation that's needed and we need that. We need, I need that every day, Lord. I wake up, I was good yesterday, and then today is like, what, in, what happened? I was such a good driver yesterday. This lady cuts me off. My Christianity just goes out the window, and it's like, what is going on? Lord, help me. You know, so I understand the process of prepping, and mainly just in, in construction. There's so many things that if, go, if they go undone, the little things can cause big issues in the long run. I mean, just a nail when you're installing drywall that you don't sink in. All of a sudden, your walls are bowing. And you're like, what in the world? And it was just one little nail. It takes thorough prep work, right? And so this is what Samuel is asking. He's saying, if you prepare your hearts for the Lord. Now, I can prepare my house for some of you. 
But then there's other people that I prepare more for, right? right? There's, it's my sister. She won't mind the socks on the floor, right? But then it's like, oh, there's so-and-so coming. And it's like, honey, where's the vacuum? Where's, I'll help you. It says, prepare your hearts for the Lord to serve him only. And he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. Isn't he faithful? If you prepare your heart for the Lord, he will deliver you. So the children of Israel put away all the Baals and the Ashtoreths, mainly these idols of sexual immorality. Modern day, you could say something akin to pornography, to things of that nature. And so he's saying, put these things away. You don't need these things. And served the Lord only. What, a, what an example. What a moment. This is a great moment. And it should be taken as such because we read it. It's just a verse. But this is a great moment of repentance only likened to when Moses was around and they repented with Moses. It was a complete shift. It'd been 400 years since they've repented like this. Wow. Sometimes pride gets in the way. I know my pride gets in the way. I know how gentle God is to bring those things to me. And I feel like as we're getting closer to the date of leaving to Ecuador, I feel like he's just drawing out things that are in my heart that I suppressed, that maybe I didn't want to deal with. And he's bringing them to the surface. And I, it's as though he's whispering into my ear and he's saying, Danny, we need to deal with this. You can't let this go. And I'm just fighting the Lord and I'm, and I, I don't want to, I want to surrender. And yet I find myself fighting and struggling against the Lord. And I want to surrender completely. I'm like, Lord, just deal with me, whatever it takes. And I'm reminded of that story with Jacob, right? God wrestled with Jacob. And Jacob had victory, not because he submitted the Lord. He didn't submit the Lord. He had victory when he allowed the Lord to submit him. That's when he had victory. And I'm hard-headed. I need the Lord to submit me at times. And it hurts. But it's so good. Like adjusting a bone that's been dislocated. It's bothering you. But once it's back in place, you, take, you handle that pain, all of a sudden you feel that relief. I remember my, a friend of mine broke my nose in boxing. I went into the bathroom and it was like this. <laughs> and I'm like, oh no, my mom's going to get mad. I snapped it back into place. <laughs> Still can barely breathe out of this nostril. <laughs> the doctor said, are you going to keep fighting? I'm like, yeah. He's like, yeah, I won't worry about it then. So <laughs> he's a good doctor. So, Verse five says, and Samuel said, gather all. I'm sorry. And Samuel said, gather all Israel to Mizpah, and this is verse 5, and, uh, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered together at Mizpah, drew water, poured it out before the Lord, and they fasted that day and said there, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel at Mizpah. Now, it's interesting. He says, gather all of Israel at Mizpah, and I will pray 
And Mizpah means watchtower. So it's the idea of let's gather together at Mizpah, a watchtower, a place where God is the witness, a place where God is seeing the hearts of them, seeing the genuineness of them, right? He's on the watchtower. He's the one looking down because ultimately we sin against the Lord. It's to him that we come to. He says, gather together at Mizpah. And they did something interesting. It says that they drew water. And that's interesting. Were they thirsty? Well, it says, and they poured it out before the Lord. Okay, so they, maybe they were thirsty, but they were doing something more. You see, this drawing of water obviously takes work. But then to pour it out before the Lord to the ground. Can you envision that? Taking a glass of water and then pouring it on the dirt. It's an irreversible process. You can't undo that. You can't take it back. And so symbolically what they were saying is, Lord, this water that we're taking, that we're drawing out, represents our heart poured out before you. We are serious about repenting, Lord. How serious? Well, we're going to go ahead and fast. (laughs) We're not going to eat. That's serious. Because we all love food, right? We all love, I've not met anybody that didn't like tacos. But this was their way. This was their way of saying, Lord, we're serious. We're drawing water. It represents our heart, Lord. And let it be a process that is irreversible. I don't want to go back. I don't want this to be undone. I don't want to be hypocritical. I don't want to be double-minded. I want to just get it done before you once and for all. And so they gathered at Mizpah. And he says this. He says, and I will pray. Now you think, okay, great. We know what prayer is. But consider this. Consider that this is Samuel. There's no superpowers with him. right? Moses had a... Very powerful staff that God used. (laughs) A wooden staff, and he defeated the entire uh, empire of of Egypt. Samson, he had this Hulk mode, right? Just the Holy Spirit came upon him, and he had this super strength, and he judged Israel. You might think of a prophet that that did Elijah, right? There's other guys that God used, and they did great things. And you would think, well, what's so great about Samuel? Well, it says that he prayed. It says, and I will pray to the Lord for you. That's his superpower. If I can say that, right? I mean, we know there's no such thing as superpowers. But he knew that God would hear him. And that's powerful. So they gathered together at Mizpah, drew water, poured it out before the Lord, and they fasted that day and said, We have sinned before the Lord, and Samuel judged the children of Israel at Mizpah. And I don't think he was being judgmental. I don't think that's what it's saying. I think what it's saying is that he spoke truth. He showed them what righteousness was, and he led them in truth. And so he judged them. And so we continue. It says, now then the Philistines heard that the children of Israel had gathered together at Mizpah. Now you got to consider, okay, you have a big group of people gathering together on this hill 
to pray. If you're the enemy, you notice they don't have any weapons. You notice they're not alert, at least towards you. You notice they're vulnerable. And so you might even assume what they're doing is stupid because you're the one with the sword, you're the one with the weapon, you're the one that's going to take them out. Somehow they had the, these spies just looking at just to see what they were doing. There's a lot of movement happening in Israel, and so the Philistines are like curious. They want to know what's going on. They find out that they're gathering at Mizpah, and it says that the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. So now Israel's aware of it. Verse 8 says, So the children of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us. Now notice that. Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God. All of a sudden, all of a sudden there's this closeness, right? It's no longer the Ark of the Covenant. They they don't have that lucky charm anymore. Now they have just Samuel and a prayer on his lips and faith in God, our God, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. Now that's, that takes faith. Now they're trusting in the Lord. And it's interesting, before Mizpah, the enemy wasn't attacking, right? The enemy wasn't concerned about Israel. It wasn't until they realized that they're going to Mizpah to get right with God, that all of a sudden the enemy comes. And he comes full force. I don't know if you guys ever had that. Where God is speaking to you about doing something. And all of a sudden, you turn your heart to do it. You turn your heart to prayer. And man, things go crazy. Stuff starts happening. The car won't start, right? Children get sick. (laughs) I mean, I don't know what what goes on in your life. But that's what happened to me this week. (laughs) The car didn't start, (laughs) just recovering from illnesses. And it just feels like one thing after another. We're like, Lord, what is going on? But we know that when the, when the Lord is calling you to something, the battle intensifies. And so, yes, things happen. And the temptation is to fear. But then there should also be that recognition of, who's your God? Right? They said, Samuel, can you cry out to the Lord, our God? Who's your God? Do you trust him? in spite of the circumstances. The enemy considered Israel as, as being in a position of weakness. Little did they know, right? When I am weak, he is strong. And so far from being in a position of weakness, they were in a position of strength. The enemy just didn't know it. And so here we see verse nine, and Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. Then Samuel cried out to the Lord of Israel and the Lord answered him. Now that's powerful because in the beginning, you remember where the altar rested, right? On the stone of Abel. All of a sudden we have the same illustration, but it's Samuel. And he knows that the the only way to approach God is on the basis of a blood sacrifice. And that's exactly what he does. He knows better. 
they offered up a lamb, complete a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And it says that then Samuel cried out to the Lord of Israel and the Lord answered him. Man, I don't care how weak you are. I don't care how weak you feel. When God answers your prayers, that's a good day, right? Trusting in him, relying upon him. Here, that's what Samuel did. There's no, nothing special or miraculous about Samuel. He just knew God would answer his prayer. This isn't one time. This isn't the first time he's prayed. Samuel had a consistent relationship with God. He heard God's voice. You re recall Eli. It's when you first hear of Eli, he can't even tell what Samuel's mother was praying for. He couldn't even discern what was right in front of him. He assumed she was drunk. And then it says that his eyes were dim. Couldn't see spiritually. When he died, it says that he was fat. <laughs> the Bible isn't politically correct. What does that say? Well, first of all, it means you're consuming more than you should. Which means you were participating in what your sons were doing. Which means you were in sin. Oh, wow. All of a sudden, things make sense. And he falls over and breaks his neck. And it says that he was blind and overweight. Wow, what a stark contrast with Samuel. Eli couldn't even hear from the Lord. He didn't even know what the Lord's voice was like anymore. It wasn't until Samuel kept coming into his room that he was like, well, I didn't call you. I didn't call you three times. I didn't call you. Then finally he's like, oh, snap. I remember I'm a priest. I'm supposed to be hearing from God. And so, oh, Sam, next time say, here I am, Lord. Your servant hears, right? It's like we forget, right? Eli forgot. He forgot what his role was. He had been tainted. He had compromised. And it's funny because it's like he's standing. Notice, it, I, I don't mean to go that far back, but I just, I'm just recalling the difference between Samuel and Eli. Eli is sitting at the gate. You shouldn't be sitting as a priest. Your job isn't done. All of a sudden, he's sitting, he's resting. He's not doing his job. He's not being diligent. And here we have a man who knows God, who hears God. I want men like that in my life, <laughs> that hear from God, that aren't afraid to speak truth, that will do it even if it hurts my feelings. I'll get over it. I got a man up anyway, right? Samuel was that man speaking truth. Then Samuel cried out to the Lord of Israel and the Lord answered him. Now, as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a loud thunder upon the Philistines that day and so confused them that they were overcome before Israel. Wow. You look at the scene and you think, that is certain slaughter of Israelites. Here come the Philistines. There is no hope. Problem is for the Philistines, God answers prayer. And it says that he so confused them. They couldn't do anything. I want to know what that looks like 
I want to see my enemy so confused he can't do anything. Right? It, I remember in the New Testament, the, 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 uh, the Pharisees were plotting against Jesus. And it says, everything you're, they're speaking to each other. Everything we're doing is not working. It's be, the, more, the harder we try, the worse it gets. That's awesome. I'm, I'm happy. There's a, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but what verse are we in? 11. So, so what should be certain death is not. Here the Lord intervenes. And there's a great victory. And what happened? Not a single Israelite lifted up an arm to fight, to have victory. That was a complete victory of the Lord. And so Napoleon, I have it somewhere around here. Napoleon, not dynamite, Napoleon, the historic figure. The French guy. He says, when your enemy is doing something stupid, I'm paraphrasing, okay? He's like, if your enemy is doing something stupid, don't interrupt him. <laughs> the Philistines were doing something stupid, right? They, they were attacking the children of God, not knowing that their God answers. They forgot the tumors, right? They forgot the rats. <laughs> it's, I don't know if they had amnesia, something. It says, and the men of Israel went to Mizpah, and pursued the Philistines and drove them back as as far back, or I'm sorry, as far as below Beth Car. Could you put the the map there? There we go. So there's Mizpah where it says Benjamin, right above Judah, and they took them all the way back. I can't remember if Beth Car is there, but it's as far back as Gath and Ekron. Beth car is somewhere around there. And so they recovered the land that was lost. And so it says, Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. And that's interesting. I wonder how many of us have those stones of remembrance in our lives. I think... My dad, he lived, his childhood was very interesting. As a, as a little boy, he was, he was very poor. His family, my family was very poor in Mexico. And dad died when he was five. I uh, was murdered in a bar. And so his mom was raising him and his other brothers. And they, didn't, they couldn't afford to eat. So my dad, at eight years old, told my grandmother, I'm moving out. I'm going to a, uh, an orphanage. And so he moved into an orphanage. And, and so he had to lie about his age. And so when he left the orphanage, he didn't know if they changed the age. <laughs> he didn't know how old he is, really. <laughs> he, may, he changed documents or he just messed himself up. But he, there, so there, there's a purpose to the story. In, in the orphanage, there was this kid that would keep beating him up. And, and he, he obviously he just didn't, he didn't like getting bullied. He couldn't overcome this guy. He was bigger than him. But he had a friend there that, that had come in. And somehow this friend of his was just really good at fighting. <laughs> and he was shorter than my dad, but he was really good. And you remember seeing my dad crying. He's like, why are you crying, Torino? He's like, ah, oh, this guy keeps bullying me. He's like, who? Yeah, so-and-so. And so my, friend, my dad's friend was like, oh, really? He's like, well, point him out tomorrow at Reese's and I'll take care of it. And my dad's like... 
okay. <laughs> Let's do. So yeah, sure enough, my dad's playing in the playground and uh, this kid comes and tries to bully my dad. And now this kid's bigger than my dad, right? So my, friend, my dad's friend comes and he's shorter than my dad. But man, he beat this kid up. Something decent. And never touched my dad again. <laughs> it, was a, it was one of those good moments, right? Little did he know, right? <laughs> he had a friend that answered prayer. <laughs> so, so that was my dad's upbringing, but uh, there was a reason. I, I, brought, I brought it up for a reason and I forgot. So you guys just have to bear with me. It says, then Samuel took a stone. Oh, yeah, stones of remembrance. Yes, that's why. So, you, and my, see, I share these stories because my dad will never share these stories. And I feel like someone should hear these stories. So I'm, I'm sharing them. But he, he, again, he's just, he grew up really rough. He left and, and, and joined a military. And uh, he was there for two years. And then he left. The, he finished his thing. And, uh, and so he was about 18 when he left the military. But didn't have work. And so he just resorted to drinking. And, uh, and so he has these scars in his body. Died, almost died several times. He has a scar from his chin down to his neck of a man that almost stabbed him through the, through the neck. If it wasn't for him raising his arm and saying, Lord, help me, the knife landed right in his neck and he stopped it. He was stabbed in the back. He was, his lip cut open and he lived a rough life. And, and I see, I, I just, I, I love seeing him today. I love seeing him uh, teaching God's word because no one would ever know no one would ever know the life he lived because God has, taken, has completely changed my dad. But he was angry, man. He was yelling. I remember growing up, he was, we're all in the process of sanctification. He was heavily in the process of sanctification when I was growing up, <laughs> right? And just, I remember just coming home crying already because I didn't want to get home because I knew something was going to happen and make him upset. But all he would hold on to was these little Sunday school pamphlets that he had when we came from California to Indiana. And all he knew was he loved the Lord and the Lord had changed him and he just wanted him to continue changing him. And he would just invite people over and people would come to our house. Our house always, it was always full. And he would just share and he would just teach these little Sunday school pamphlets. Before we knew it, he just, the house was too full. He didn't realize, no one realized, he had a calling on his life. To share Jesus. And he would work a job. He would work full-time jobs. He'd come home and try to study something and go teach. We eventually opened a church. He was too embarrassed to call himself a pastor. He wouldn't. And I know godly men that still don't. That's a good heart to have. He was just doing what God put in his heart to do. But I look at him and I see the stones of remembrance. They're on his face. They're on his arms. I remember as a little boy asking him, Dad, how did you get this? And he wouldn't tell me. He was too ashamed of the life he lived. But how powerful of a testimony that my dad has. Now they're happily married, my mom and my dad. So they've come so far. It says, Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer, Stone of Remembrance, saying, Thus far, the Lord has helped us. I mean, if you ever wonder, if maybe you're going through a tough time, I don't know what, what you're going through, but if you ever wonder, will God get me out of this one? 
Just consider the stones that he's left in your life already. They speak of his faithfulness, that if he did it then, he can do it again. Thus far, the Lord has helped us. And that's a wonderful thing. It says, so the Philistines were subdued. And they did not come anymore into the territory of Israel. And he and the Lord, I'm sorry, and the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. Then the cities which the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel from Ekron to Gath. And Israel recovered its territories uh, from the hand of the Philistines. Also, there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. You know, that's a, it's one of those things where God is so effective to remove, to have victory over your life, that even your enemies want to be at peace with you. They don't want to mess with, I remember my wife was working at a, at a boutique and she just, there's something about my wife. She just radiates Jesus where she goes, right? And the store owner there just didn't know Jesus. He's just godless man. But he would see Julia come in and he would tell everyone, don't mess with her. <laughs> and he would say, because God is with her. He noticed something about my wife. She never advertised anything. She just walked into work, did her thing. But it's interesting when other people notice the life you live, the convictions you have, are you easily moved from your convictions? Do you easily compromise? The world knows if you do. I had a friend that kept telling me, he's like, you know what? I got to a point where I had three different friends come to my house and I was tired. I didn't realize that I had played three different parts. They all knew me in three different ways and they came to my house at the same time. I didn't know how to act. <laughs> I realized I was playing the part. I realized I was compromising. And he gave, he, he just confessed that to the Lord, asked the Lord to change his heart. And I appreciate that about him saying that to me. I remember doing the same thing. I remember going back to Texas and realizing, oh man, I hope I don't run into people that I used to know. <laughs> I'm saved, but you know, they don't know that. <laughs> you know, just, I was young. I was like 16, 17. So it says that, also, there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. The Amorites were up in the north. But how wonderful that the, that the people surrounding Israel observed the judgment of God, observed how faithful God was to his people. They wanted peace with them. They didn't want to end up like the Philistines. And Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. And it says, he went from year to year on a circuit to Bethel. Gilgal, I have my notes here, and I just, every time I look at them, I just see letters. I can't read. Guys, this is awful. Okay, well, I'll just make something up here. Uh, it says, so he went to, so he went from year to year on a circuit. Uh, you guys understand that much, right? Like, he, he made it a, uh, a point to visit these cities every year and go around continually it says to Bethel now notice because uh, Jordan said this and I thought it was very important that uh, Samuel is the voice of God to his people he speaks for God and so it's almost like God himself is 
showing us something. He's saying that he made it a point, Samuel made it a point to go to Bethel, which is the house of God. He made it a point to go to Gilgal, which is where their sins were rolled away, right? You remember Gilgal is to the Jew, well, Galgotha is to the Christian, right? So not only did he go to the house of God, but he went there with the right heart to go before the cross, right? To go before the sacrifice. And then it says that he went to Mizpah. And now there was a few things that happened at Mizpah. First, and I'm just recalling this because I can't remember where I wrote this, but Abraham was at Mizpah years ago. And what did he do? Well, he settled accounts with Philistines there. He made peace with the Philistines. And no sooner did he make a promise to Abimelech and his sidekick called, what was his sidekick name? Again, I keep looking at this and it's just letters. There's no purpose of me looking at this. Oh, his name was Fickle, right? There's a play on words there. I don't know. He was Fickle. Because no sooner did he make the promise when he comes back to Abimelech and is like, dude, you just buried my wells. What is, we just shook hands. He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Isn't that the enemy? You make truce with the enemy. Don't be surprised when you get stabbed in the back. All of a sudden he makes a covenant with the Philistines after that. He's like, he gives them a, some sheep. And Abimelech's like, why are you giving me these sheep? He's like, so that you know that these are mine. Every time you hear them, right? You know these wells are mine, right? It just, you, you got to do something, right? He didn't have Apple watches back then, so a sheep was good enough. But he made it a point to go to the house of God, to go to Gilgal, which is where God removed the shame of the Israelites from Egypt, and to go back to Mizpah, which is where Abraham was tested which is where they were tested, right? They, they were tested here. Are you going to trust the Lord? And it says, and judged Israel in all those places. You see, Samuel's life was one that was exemplary. He could walk in. He had presence. People knew when Samuel was around. People knew the seer. They knew the prophet. And so he lived a life that just spoke. He, I'm sure he was a man of few words. But you know, when he judged, he spoke truth. And when you respect a man, he doesn't need to say much. There's men that I respect that just need to give me a look, and I know. <laughs> yes, sir. My dad's one of them. <laughs> My mom's another one. <laughs> My wife's another one. It says, but he always returned to Rama. You guys remember Rama. That's where he was born. That's where his dad lived. That's where his mom lived. He would always return to Rama. And now Rama is an interesting one. It's a place of sacrifice and worship. It says he, he returned to Rama for his home was there. And it says, there he judged Israel, and there he built an altar to the Lord. He always returned to that place of worship, right? And it was at his home. He worshiped God, not just when people saw him. 
He worshiped God at home. That's convicting. I want to be faithful at home. Not just have a, a, a public success and be a private failure. I would rather be successful at home. And who cares what people think? Right? I'm not the best preacher. I'm not, you know, I don't, I'm not tall. I mean, I, I wish I looked like Jordan, right? I, I, I don't have that gift, you know. But I have a God, and I have a God that answers my prayer, right? My shirt's big. So how much time do I have? Oh, man, I talk too much, guys. All right, we're going to go through this. I want you to notice this. We'll read this next chapter. It's going to be pretty quick. But what you're going to find is you're going to find that Samuel, while he was a righteous man, while he was a great man, uh, he was also human. He was also frail. He wasn't a perfect man. Because the very next verse says, now it came to pass when Samuel was old. Now, this is a long time. Just the chapter 7, Samuel was about 30 years old. Because prior to that, he was a young boy. 20 years later, he's judging people. Well, he's bringing them to repentance. And then it says that now he's old. Now it came to pass when Samuel was old, that he made his sons judges over Israel. Oh, Samuel, what's going on? He's making his sons, see, to be a judge over Israel, that's, a, that's an appointed position, not by man, but by God. But Samuel, in his older years, has overlooked the sins of his children. And now he's putting them in positions of authority over the people. And he's doing something he shouldn't be doing. This is sin. He's failing. And it's going to come back to him. It says, the name of the firstborn was Joel. Now, Joel, Yahel, Yahweh is God. Wonderful name. And the name of the second was Abijah. Ab, father. God is my father. Now, you remember, Samuel didn't grow up with his biological dad. He grew up in, with a priest. And so Samuel, from an early age, hearing the voice of God, God became his father. That was the relationship he had. The names that he gave his sons were just a reflection of the relationship he's always had with God. Yahweh is God, and God is my father. It says of them, they were judges in Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his way. That's the difference between Eli and Samuel. Eli walked in the way of his children. Samuel didn't. He was a man of principle. He walked the, the righteous walk. He walked the walk and he talked the talk. But his sons didn't follow in his way. So he was an example to his children. But unfortunately, his children just didn't follow him. Which is the mistake Samuel was making. The mistake was he knew his sons weren't walking in the way he was walking. And yet still, he was making them judges over Israel. 
You can't do that, Samuel. It says, they turned aside after dishonest gain. They took bribes and prevented justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, look, you are old. You are, your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us, at this point, there's nothing wrong with the request. A king has always been part of God's plan for them. Deuteronomy 17. It tells how God was describing to Moses, when you guys get into the land, you will have a king. Make sure he writes the law. Make sure he writes it down by hand for himself so that he doesn't forget it. Don't let him multiply wives. Let him do these things. And so God's plan was always for them to have a king. But it doesn't say just that. It doesn't say we want just a king. It says, now make us a king to judge us like all the other nations. That's where they went wrong. Now, understandably, they didn't want Samuel's sons ruling over them. They were ungodly men. They weren't men of principle. They couldn't lead. So they were, it was good for them to reject Samuel's sons. But the reason they were rejecting Samuel's sons was not right. The reason they wanted a king was not right. The reason was because they wanted to be like all the other nations. It says, but the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. Now, it displeased, I, I, Samuel's going to take this personal. And you got to consider, okay, he's being rejected. His sons are being rejected. I mean, you can almost understand Samuel. If you've had kids and they want to be a part of a group of friends and those friends reject your, your kids, it hurts, it stings. Right. My little boy's autistic. And for his age, he just doesn't have that speech ability like other kids his age. And so he just he's in his own little world. He tries to play with kids his age, but they quickly learn that he's not the same. And so we have to realize that his walk is going to look different. Right. His walk is going to be different. And so I understand Samuel. I understand that. Him having his sons rejected, even though they were ungodly, even though whatever. There's this sense of himself feeling rejected. And how do I know that? Well, it says here, it says, so Samuel prayed, which is a good thing to do. Because when you start taking things personal, when you're uncomfortable, right? When people reject you, right? When people hurt you, they, people hurt your feelings. What do you do with that? Right? It, sometimes it's awkward around people. Sometimes you can't help but cross paths with people regularly and they give you a look or they don't give you a look or they don't speak to you or they say things to you that you don't like. How do you navigate that? Well, the same way Samuel did. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. You see, you can take things into your own hands or you can let God battle for you. Samuel's prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, heed the voice of the people in all that they say for they say to you, for they have not rejected you, Samuel, but they have rejected me. See, Samuel felt rejected. God's reminding him, Samuel, this isn't against you. Don't take it personal. 
you know, this is speaking to me, guys. I'm teaching, right? But I take things personal a lot. <laughs> and I, I should, I know. But this is one of those things that I, I'm encouraged because I see a godly man here struggling with the same things I struggle with, right? And I have to give them to the Lord. And so this is, well, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, Samuel, you should know better. I'm looking at this like, Samuel, I get it. <laughs> and I love how gentle God is. They've not rejected you. Don't take it personal. They've rejected me. I'm not going to finish the chapter, but I'll close with this because it was a good story. I, I, I like listening to uh, Charles Stanley. And he was talking about how to deal with hurt when people hurt you, when people uh, reject you. And it, it, it's, it was something like the board of directors was going to vote whether he kept his job or not. And so it, from one Sunday to the next, the same people that were smiling at him and greeting him all of a sudden were ignoring him and treating him badly. And he didn't know what to do. He didn't know how to handle this. And so he went and prayed. And he said that the Lord spoke to him and said, Sam, or he said, Charles, whatever you're getting from them, take it as if you were receiving it from me. And I remember just listening to this clip and he said, Lord, how can I, but you're only good to me. How can I possibly take it as if it was coming from you? He said, just take it as if it was coming from me. And he said, okay, I'll do that. And he said that the next Sunday, he didn't realize it, but because he had given it over to the Lord and he had accepted it as though it was some, coming from someone he loved, which is God, all of a sudden, all that bitterness, all that anger, all those emotions towards these people were completely gone. And he was able to preach the next Sunday in front of people that were getting ready to vote to fire him with joy. And I thought that ministered to me so well. I'm like, Lord, help me. <laughs> help me deal with my heart that way. Because when I take what's happening in my life as though it was coming from God, then I know there's a purpose. I know there's an intent. And I know God loves me. And so it's easier for me to say, Lord, thank you, right? Uh, Lord, just thank you for your word. Thank you for who you are. Father, we love you. We pray that this word just penetrates our heart. Father, we just thank you for the blood sacrifice that we approach you with, Lord. The blood shed on the cross by Jesus Christ, Father, through whom we have access freely to you. And so, Father, help us to depend only on you. And we thank you in Jesus' name, Father. Amen.